guys, Candace here. So glad to get to spend a little bit of time with you today on The Good Day. Here, we'll focus on finding grace in our ordinary days. We'll learn good days don't just happen. And even more, a good life doesn't just happen. There's a choice involved. Join me as we learn how to develop the discipline and cultivate a heart that seeks strength, joy, and peace and finds rest in the good day, one day at a time. So today we have Chelsea Sobolik joining us, and it is just so fun and to get to meet with you today. So tell us just a little bit about yourself, um, who you like to spend your days with, what life is like at D.C. in the spring, and what makes you smile, what you've been thinking about, all those things. So much. Well, um, <laughs> I'm Chelsea Sobolik, and I live in the Washington, D.C. area, um, about 10 minutes away from, from D.C., um, I'm married to my husband, Michael. We've been married over five years now, which time just absolutely flies. It's, it's crazy. Um, my day job, I, um, do policy and advocacy for an organization called Lifeline Children's Services. And we are a holistic care organization for vulnerable women, children, and families. So my day job, I'm advocating for policies um, that protect children and help uh, children and, and families flourish. Um, so I, I absolutely love it. But in my spare time, I also am a writer. Um, and I just completed my second book. Uh, so I'm, I'm so thankful to have, have yeah. that done. And, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, D.C. Uh, is such a fun place to visit with the museums, but also yes. I always remember D.C. for the day joggers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like a friend and yes. I went to visit like years ago, and I guess I'm used to seeing people like jogging before work or after work, but literally like it doesn't matter what time of day it is. There are always. Yes. Someone jogging. Yes. yes. We were walking like the Washington Mall. And uh, it started raining. And then my friend and I, she and I, we started laughing because we were having to run into the museum to get out from the rain. We're like, we became the D.C. (laughs) by accident. But well, uh, springtime in D.C. is the best. It's so beautiful. It's not too hot. The cherry blossoms are here. Uh, Yes. Yes. So it's a very nice time in in the city. That's so, so fun. And like you said, you have served like your day job. <laughs> you have a lot that you're carrying, but tell us a little bit about um, your work on and off Capitol Hill and what, um, you know, what you do and a little bit more of that. I always tell people, I feel like I stumbled into the work I'm doing now because I had no idea that the, the job I'm doing now even existed when I graduated college, but I had studied foreign policy with the intent of moving overseas. And very long story short, the Lord brought me to a nonprofit in DC. And then I ended up uh, having the chance to work on Capitol Hill. Um, and it was so special. My boss um, had authored a lot of the pro-life legislation at the time. Uh, which I care very deeply about that that issue, but he also was the co-chair of the Adoption Caucus. So a little known fact, um, there's cock well, there's caucuses in in Congress for everything. There's a fishing caucus. There's there's a caucus for everything, and all a caucus means is an issue that um, a group of members can agree on or coalesce around, caucus around. 
So the Adoption Caucus is Congress's largest bipartisan, so Republicans and Democrats, bipartisan, bicameral, so the House and the Senate, the largest caucus. I really got to cut my teeth on um, policies that cared for children and families, and uh, I get to do it now just in a very different capacity, but it truly is a joy. I always say my job, there's so many industries in Washington, D.C., like big tech or oil or finance and all these big industries have a ton of well-paid lobbyists who beat down the door on behalf of that that issue and vulnerable kids don't they don't have tons and tons of lobbyists in dc or tons and tons of advocates in dc but my job is to get to go whether it's on Capitol Hill or at state legislatures and represent them and be be their voice and and help help advance policies that help them flourish. So I love it. I absolutely think I have a dream job. I absolutely love it. And so much purpose. Um, and yes. like you said, to be a voice for those who don't have a voice. Um, that's really, really powerful. On the podcast right now, we are wrapping up a series on motherhood. And we're also starting a series called Welcome to the Family about adoption and, um, you know, foster care and I, like we were saying before we pressed record, I really see your story as a bridge and um, between the two. And, you know, I just truly believe that those areas in our lives where we have felt the weakest um, is where God's strength really shines through the most and our greatest purpose comes. And I really see that in your story uh, with the work you do now, but also your heart for adoption and foster care. Um, is directly related to your personal story. And so if you're comfortable, would you tell us more about your adoption story? Absolutely. So I was not born in the U.S. I was born in Romania, uh, which is in Eastern Europe. Um, I feel like more people know about that country now because of the Korean War, but Eastern Europe, um, my parents adopted myself and a little boy. We're not biologically related, but we actually are 11 days apart. So we were raised as twins, which is so fun. Like we were so close in age. Um, And my parents adopted four more children from Russia. So I'm one of six children, all adopted internationally. Um, So growing up, adoption was very normal for me because all my siblings were adopted. I had friends who were adopted and we all, we all look similar. So you wouldn't really know I was adopted if I didn't disclose it but I saw my parents choose to international adoption is not cheap and they chose they they told me one time I said you know wouldn't it wouldn't your life have been easier (laughs) if you hadn't have spent forty thousand dollars times six and they were like yeah in some ways yes but we chose to invest our earthly treasure in things that are going to outlast us and then things and people that will have eternal value. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful for the gift of adoption. And I don't, not everyone, I we can have a conversation about this. I don't think everyone's called to adopt. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those that are, I really have seen um, God's grace in my own life. And then my husband and I are actually in our own uh, international adoption process ourselves. So it's really, really special to get to have come from a place of, of adoption myself and not be part of my story and then um, welcome our, our child home through through international adoption as well. 
after being adopted and then now like with your book longing for motherhood uh, holding on to hope in the midst of childlessness you start it and um, when you were 19 that's how the book starts and the same age that Anna who placed you for adoption the age she was when she did that and you're in this cold examination room and your mind is just racing with questions and hoping that the doctor does not confirm your worst fear can you bring our listeners back into that memory with you? Absolutely. So I started college um, and that right before I went, I had a doctor's appointment and they said, we, we think something might be wrong, but we, we don't know yet. Uh, so we're going to schedule an appointment for the week between um, the week of Thanksgiving when I was back home. So uh, they said, we don't, we don't know, but we think we're leaning that way. So I entered or started my freshman year of college with this cloud over me of there could be something wrong. I don't know. And then um, the week of Thanksgiving, I went to the doctor's office and um, was told that I was born with a somewhat rare medical condition that would prevent me from having children in the future. And that struggling with infertility, I feel like is hard for anyone um, but most people walk through it in the context of a marriage. They have a partner to process it with and walk through it with. But I was mm. a freshman in college and infertility is such a, like a personal thing already. Um, but then to be single, a teenager, mm-hmm. going back from college break or going back from Thanksgiving break. And everyone's like, how was your Thanksgiving? You don't want to say, well, I just received this devastating news. Um, so I really, really kept it to myself for, for quite a long time. Um, I've since obviously been very public about it. I wrote a, a whole book about it. But yeah, it was a really challenging time, not only personally, but also for my faith, because it was the first time in my life that two plus two didn't equals four. Like my good behavior didn't get me what Mm. I wanted. And Mm. um, there's a lot of wrestling and prayer with the Lord about that because it was hard. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like God created us to be able to bear children post or before Genesis three. And of course we know the fall comes in and mars everything. And um, so there was a lot of really, really, really hard days and really lonely days. Um, and I always say, I didn't keep myself close to the Lord. The Lord kept himself close to me, um, because I, I felt so weak in that season and that period of time. Um, and just many days felt like I was crawling yeah. towards the Lord and he was so present and I didn't always feel this huge thing, but I knew that the Lord was with me and I felt like that. That was so helpful in the midst of this really, really trying season. Yeah. Well, there's several things that you said there that I want to touch on, but you know, one being just that you were 19 and you mm-hmm. like that a lot of people, um, doesn't make it easy um, to face infertility as a married couple, but you do have someone else that you're working through this mm-hmm. with. But then, you know, I just imagine like going back to college and like even dating, like the fear of that. Um, oh, Yes expanded um yeah um like you said to know that like this is what my body was created to do and now I've been told that I cannot do this um you know 
Well, there's one thing you said in your book, and I'm going to quote it because I don't want to misread it, but it said, my faith didn't feel strong enough if God denied me what my heart so desperately longed for. And that just really stood out to me when you said it, because I think in many ways, you're a modern day Hannah. Uh, You know, your heart just has this deep longing. And I know there are many who are listening who um, maybe know the same longing, um, maybe for a different reason, not the same medical condition, but there, there are lots, um, or there's another longing on their heart. And it just, this statement resonates deeply. Like, I don't know if my faith can actually survive this trial. Like, if you don't give me this, like, this is what I long for more than anything. How can I continue to believe that you're real? Um, and so kind of want to talk a little bit about surrendering our longings because we see Hannah do that um, with Samuel, um, who she, you know, God gives her Samuel, but, um, you know, you're surrendering kind of like you touched on a little bit. It didn't start off pretty. Um, I know there were days of anxiety and panic attacks. Um, would you mind just kind of telling us what that surrender looked like for you? Um, just so others don't have to feel so alone in their struggle for surrender. Absolutely. So I had grown up in a Christian home with very strong Christian parents and prayed the prayers with young kids. That whole, that was my story, my background. But then when this trial hit, well, number one, I went to the bookstore and thought, I'm just going to read my way through this trial. Mm-hmm. And there weren't really any books on the bookshelf that I fit into with this particular trial. So mm-hmm. I wrote the book I wish I'd had. But what I did instead was bought a lot of books on the topic of suffering. And, um, I lived in the college dorm room and there was never any time to be alone um, to to process. So there was this little prayer chapel on my college campus that I would go to often, like after my homework was done, after did like, like eight or nine o'clock. And I just sit there and read and, and pray. And it wasn't pretty. And I remember telling the Lord, like, okay, I'm going to read this Bible, the, your word, one more time and see in light of this trial and see if it can actually hold up to suffering. Um, and what I found was, of, of course it could, but it wasn't this easy, quick fix of, and I still don't have, that longing still isn't met. I mean, my husband and I are in the middle of the adoption process and I, I hope and pray it's successful, but it's still... In, in a lot of ways, it's still the middle of of that. Um, but I found two two things. Number one, um, there are so many so many people in the Bible who have walked through really intense longings. Um, lots of women who were barren. Um, but I found in the Book of Psalms that every so many really difficult emotions are represented in the Book of Psalms and. I realized that I could pray honestly and I didn't have to have a stiff upper lip of, you know, I could pray honestly and that made me feel free to pray and um, that, but then as I read through the gospels in light of, of this new part of my story, um, I really saw what it actually meant to follow Christ and God, like Christ promises that our, our life is going to have trouble um, but to take heart because he's overcome overcome the world and overcome our our trials and our, our sorrows and um, so I think I really read scripture for the first time with an understanding of 
of, of what it actually means to be a Christian in, in a lot of ways and, and what it means to pray. Um, and then I think the thing that I've held on to, and I, I was talking to my husband even recently on a really hard day with our adoption where there was more paperwork and there, it just feels like there's no end in sight. Um, or you look at the the news and it's all really dark headlines and hard, like just all the hard things in life yeah. can feel so overwhelming. Um, but we have the end of our story. And I feel like there's so many days where I just cling to, this day's really hard. I know God is with me in this day, but I know he promises to redeem all things. And being able to hold those two things in tension together, like this is hard. And somehow God has promised um, that he's going to redeem all things. And I don't fully understand how that works, but I know his character and I know he's good and I can trust him in that. Well, and I think redemption is what, I mean, because adoption is hard. It's trauma. Yes. There's no, there's no way around it. It's tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it is also just, a light of God's redemption, you know, in your life, but also in this child's life, you know, he brings the redemption together and it multiplies and it grows and, you know, and, and then to see that was your personal story too. Mm-hmm. Like, and you kind of mentioned in your book that it's not like your childhood really wasn't traumatic, but that those initial mm-hmm. days were, and then that's yes. why seeing, you know, turning 19 and getting this news that was like really where your faith was questioned um, and like to be able to read scripture, like you said, in the light of I'm suffering, what does God's word say about suffering? I now read it so differently. And I think mm-hmm. even in my own story, it's like, I used to think I could avoid pain. <laughs> I can make all the right decisions and avoid it. I, you know, um, and really it's like, no, like pain is still going to come um, because of the broken world that we're in. And, uh, just learning to trust God and lean on him through those hard times is um, where we're fulfilled um, the hard times. But one other thing that you, I want to touch back on, and she talked about how, you know, you living in the dorm room and there, you really couldn't have quiet time or even share a lot of what you're going through. And in your book, you call, you call it this silent struggle. And, but now you've found the hope. And how this longing is fulfilled for you, even before you knew that this adoption was going to happen and that you saw the longing be fulfilled. And so I wanted to touch on that because many who are listening know this pain firsthand and they know the sadness, the grief, the triggers. Like there's one example that you give in your book about even going to the grocery store and walking in and you see a mother with a child and you're just hoping that they do not want the chocolate chip, the mint chocolate chip ice cream. (laughs) that you're getting because just it's being held together with a thread at the moment. Mm -hmm. I know that that is very real. Um, I've been walking alongside a friend and struggling with this too. And just how those triggers Mm -hmm. can be um, so hard. And so what hope can you share with them today? We are meant to live in community and God's people are meant to be with one another and that doesn't mean that we need to disclose all of our hardest things to every single person or all over social media like that that's not what that means right but we are meant to be known and loved 
um, certainly by the father, but then also by, by one another. And when I started sharing, and at, at first it was just a two people, when I started sharing with them, this is what I'm going through, um, everything changed. Everything changed because I could then have someone to text in the midst of a really hard day mm-hmm. and say, hey, this happened. And that person would just say, I'm so sorry that happened. Um, because the, like, I, I think our first instinct is to want to fix something right. and, or offer a solution or, but oftentimes we just need someone to, to be with us and to say, that's really hard. Or I'm so sorry that happened or just to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say if someone is, is walking through that, first of all, I'm so sorry. Um, that that is your story um but don't don't let it be just your story invite others into into that struggle and into that that trial with you um and for those who that's not part of their story i think something that was really really helpful for me that i'm so thankful and i've, I've tried to apply this to different friends and different struggles but asking asking what's helpful so for example um Maybe you just need a friend to come have a movie night with you and take your mind off of whatever it is. Or maybe you need a friend to come sit beside you while you talk about it. Like we need different things on different days and we're people and we're different. And so I think being able to say like, hey, could you come go on a walk with me and we can talk about this or or being able to articulate what you think could be helpful. Um, and sometimes you don't know. Yeah, but inviting someone in and saying, "I think this could be helpful today," or yeah, um, or even just saying, "There have t- been times where I've said, hey, I just, I just wanted to tell you today was a hard day, and I would like to be alone today,' or just things like that." But I think just being able to invite people in um, to know to know us and to love us, because I think we are ma- we are made for those two things. Yes. And so being able to invite people in, so just not share we don't just endure our suffering alone but it also allows us that we don't experience god's glory alone too because he will <laughs> redeem it it may not look he may not redeem it the way we expect or maybe the way that we initially want but he will redeem it and as we share people share it with people and we bring them in then they also get to experience the goodness of god and the faithfulness of god and the power of god through our story and you know same with you like now that people know your story there's so many more people who are getting to see how God handpicked this child for your family, you know, and um, we're going to be celebrating and supporting you and all of that. And that's because you were vulnerable because you had courage to share. And, um, you know, also, like I said, on the podcast right now, we're talking about motherhood, but more specifically about legacy and your legacy is not one of a longing left unfulfilled, but one of the Lord's fulfillment and it just looked different than you expected Uh, so much so you know like you and your husband Michael and with this child now but I also uh, it really what you said before about your parents and how they chose to invest in something that would outlast (laughs) them that that was a legacy that your mom Mm -hmm. brought to you and then now you and Michael are doing the same and it's just so cool to see that see that brought down to the generations and who knows what's going to happen with this child and how they're going to be able to sew in um in something that will outlast them too that eternal impact 
um, that's really challenging and encouraging too. So, yeah. And I think, again, even with adoption or, or walking through this, there's so much tension of, of the sorrow and the joy, oftentimes all in one day. Um, but to see stepping in faith of how God has called us, God has called us to, to, to this path. God called my parents to that, their path, um, stepping in faith in those paths to see God's faithfulness and his presence, I think is, it, it helps on those, those days when, when you're like, I could take a step and fall. I don't know what's happening, but yeah. no, right. so I'm going to keep taking steps in faith, um, hoping to build that legacy with, with the Lord's presence. Yes. Yes. But before we go, can you tell us just a little bit about your next book? I believe it's on the topic of women and work, right? It is, yes. So it is called Called to Cultivate, um, a gospel vision for women and work. And I am so excited to explore uh, calling and vocation and work um, through the lens of scripture applied to women. Um, there's a lot, a lot there, but I'm I'm pumped about it. I'm very excited about this topic. Congratulations. I'm Thank you. so proud of you and just keep me updated. And I will. <laughs> shout about it because I'm just seeing just the discipline that you have in your life and just the intentionality that you bring to your work. And I think that's something that we're all going to be able to benefit from and hear more about your story and the insight and wisdom you shared. So well, thank you. Before we do go. One more question. I like to end every episode this way because I'm on my own journey of kind of stepping out of my comfort zone and trying new things. And I even have a YouTube channel to hold myself accountable. It's called Let's Try That. Yes, it's really fun. It's like, that's just genuine to me. I just always think is I'm like, oh, let's try that. Let's, you know, maybe it's a recipe. Maybe it's a bouquet. Maybe it's a new activity, you know, um, the yoga (laughs) uh, workouts and the aerial yoga, you know, and all those different types of things. But um, what is something maybe that you've done or that you plan to do just for the fun of it, whether you fail or succeed, you're just doing it for fun. I, uh, my husband and I really want to learn tennis this year. Yes, that's awesome. Uh, We have some tennis courts near us and, uh, we really want to try. So that's something I, I think it's so easy in the line of work I'm in to like my hobbies, whether it's writing or reading to like yeah. turn those into something. And so I was really looking for something I could totally do for fun. So yes. I yes. know I'm not going to be a tennis star. So it'll just right. be for fun. But it's just for fun. Yes. Have you ever yes. played pickleball? No, we haven't, but I've heard it's all the rage. You know, it is. And, and so my fiance, we're actually getting married next month. And Congrats. Uh, yes, we're very excited. Uh, but we stumbled into pickleball like way after it, it was cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, we love it. Um, and I'll have to check that out. Um, you know, paddles for Christmas and which we were kind of like, well, maybe we shouldn't have done this because before we could blame not being <laughs> the cheap wooden paddles from Walmart. But um, now we have better paddles, but it's really fun. And there's people out there playing, you know, from kids all the way to men and women in their eighties, you know? And so, um, it's just a fun activity. And again, don't have to be good at it to have fun. I so, love that. Yeah. I love that. And as I hope turns out to be a similar experience for y'all. 
Me too. <laughs> well, everyone, let's choose to do more than just agree with Chelsea. Let's put this mustard seed of faith that we've gained today into action. Like we say every week, Jesus wasn't just looking for his disciples to agree with him, but to participate with him. And so let's think of someone in our life who needs some hope. And let's tell them what we've learned today. The book is called Longing for Motherhood. And Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to share. We're going to have to chat again soon. Thank you so much. Let's find strength in the midst of the longing, knowing Jesus is not far removed from our sorrow, that he feels this with us. Let us find joy in his presence and in his closeness, even when our circumstances are not what we want or expect. Let's find peace in the sovereign hand of God and rest knowing his hand covers our lives and our cares. We can bring these all to him and find hope that endures. The good life, well, it starts with a good day, then another, then another. Let's choose to live the good day, one day at a time.